It's not calling you Josh Frydenberg, it's calling you Dosh Frydenberg. Under the coalition, taxes for hard-working Australians will always be lower. Yeah, g'day and welcome to Hard Hats and High Viz, the two Jacks campaign coverage of the 2022 Australian federal election. Week seven, Jack, it's done and dusted. How are you, mate? This is Hong Kong Jack talking to you now. Good, I'm good here, mate. The results, uh, the results are in, and I might add. I know you're a fan of the racing. The Preakness Stakes was run in Pimlico, Baltimore, over the weekend, and was won by a horse called Early, Vo- early Voting. Oh, early Voting. <laughs> oh, that's tapping right into that electoral fraud stuff uh, that's been very common in the United States. Um, yeah, well, people did vote early. Uh, over fifty percent of them, and. Uh, around that sort of figure across the country. Um, and uh, we saw a great big dump. Not a lot of the votes, the pre-poll uh, in-person votes were counted on the Saturday night when we saw a big dump of them on Sunday. The result became very clear. Labor with the majority, probably about 76, 77, possibly even 78. But uh, they do have a majority. That's the main thing. And we do have uh, Anthony Albanese and a cabinet of... Four others sworn in until next week uh, when the remainder of the Cabinet and uh, outer, uh, outer um, ministry will be, uh, will be sworn in as well. And just before we get started, on all the analysis uh, uh, listeners, we're getting some solid feedback, some good questions and some very nice compliments on the podcast, but we need more. If you like what you're listening to, listeners, rate us on your podcast apps, tell your friends and most importantly, tell Mark Zuckerberg on Facebook, Jack Dorsky or who Elon Musk or whoever's running Twitter these days. It's really hard to tell. Uh, but let them know that you like us and give us a spruik on social media. And if you have any questions, any scathing criticism, any points of interest you want to make, drop us a line at the com. And the two Jacks, I'm one of them, Jack the Insider, Peter Hoisted to my mum, and Hong Kong Jack, who we just heard from, uh, we are two blokes who have witnessed more elections than you've had spaghetti breakfast. And we witnessed 2022 as a victory for Labor, a triumph for the Greens with some caveats, which we'll talk about later, and an overwhelming loss for the Coalition who will struggle to win 60 seats in the new Parliament. Uh, And there's much to go through. Um, And uh, we'll get right on it with the unlikely rise of Anthony Albanese sworn in this morning as Australia's 31st Prime Minister. Jack? Look, if you'd you'd asked uh, any Labor people uh, who might be a future Labor Prime Minister, uh, in, in about 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, no one would have thought uh, Anthony Albanese would be the uh, would be a, that would be that person. Um, they'd have laughed you out the room if you suggested he was in the he was in the wrong part of the wrong faction. Um, yes, and he was oh he was well behind uh, Julia Gillard, Lindsay Tanner, the Glimmer twi- the Glimmer Twins, Wayne Swan and Stephen Smith, Craig Emerson. Jenny Macklin, Simon Crean, Joel Fitzgibbon, Tony Burke and Chris Bowen. And yet here he is, Australia's 31st Prime Minister. Well, with the exception of the last three, Burke, Bowen and Short, they're all gone, Jack. And uh, They are all gone. So it just goes to show sometimes you've got to have a little bit of persistence and there's a bit of luck in politics. You've got to be in the right spot at the right time. And when we say he's from the wrong part of the wrong faction, he was uh, from the New South Wales left, a, a, a faction that has been routinely belted around the park by the New South Wales right uh, for years and years and years. Probably the right in New South Wales dropped off a little in, in the last uh, five or so years since uh, the state government was thrown, well, longer than that, 10 years since the state government or state Labor government was thrown out in New South Wales. Uh, but, yeah, he's been battling away there from the left for a very long time. 
the New South Wales left are kind of like the Washington Generals up against the Harlem Globetrotters. You know, they, they have traditionally just been there to make up the numbers and make a bit of a contest. They're using a ladder, Jack. They're using a ladder. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, yes. Uh, well done to Elbow. We'll talk about some of the problems that he might be facing as he goes on, but they are overwhelmingly good problems to have. And I just remember Joe Hockey saying mocking the opposition in 2013 in the first sitting of that particular parliament and Joe Hockey said to him this is the this is the very first day that parliament sat and Joe Hockey said this is the best day you'll have in opposition everything gets worse from here on in it's not a good place to be Jack and that's no, where no it's hard it's hard yeah, yeah, you, you battle every day just, just to make a noise. And that's where the Liberal uh, Party is, the coalition in particular. Scott Morrison has resigned, and I would imagine, although that's not yet confirmed, uh, there will be a by-election in Cook very, 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 very soon. Well, he was making noises on Saturday and Sunday that he was intending to hang around in Cook, but I don't think that'll happen. Uh, I wouldn't imagine so. Uh, they would see that as a bit of a problem, actually. So the Morrison campaign, we, we talked about this throughout, and, and I don't think there's been enough analysis of just how bad that the Liberal campaign was. Uh, it was a presidential style selling a bloke who wasn't very popular in just about, just about everywhere. We thought he might have had a bit of popularity in Queensland, but that doesn't seem to be the case. Well, to put it politely, he is not the ideal vehicle to run a, camp a presidential campaign on. To an extent, it was sort of forced on him by necessity because his, um, his talent, uh, the people who could have run that sort of team approach, Frydenberg, the treasurer, had to... He had plenty of work to do uh, to save his uh, save his seat in Kuyong, and of course he's lost it. Greg Hunt was retiring. Um, really, the most senior bloke after that was uh, was Burma, who was a, a a moderate liberal senator from South Australia, the finance minister. So they couldn't really run that. We're a good team because there just weren't enough of them to make a team. The person he should have used. Um, is a person who's not much liked, but is generally respected. Peter Dutton is a formidable politician and a good communicator. Um, you know, you don't have to be liked to get a message across, so he can do that. Well, Dutton has, you know, Dutton did pipe up, um, uh, you know, throughout the campaign, but not as much as you would think. Look, he did have a battle, as it turned out, to win his seat. He yeah. ended up winning it by a couple of points, um, but uh, he had some work to do there in, in Queensland. There were some things that we look back now uh, on, Jack, and, and wonder, um, why did Scott Morrison spend so much time in Karangamite? I mean, virtually, I think he was there about five or six times. And they, uh, you know, uh, Libby, Libby Coker, the uh, sitting Labor member, um, she uh, increased her margin and won comfortably. Well, Karangamites had a, a, a fairly large influx of, of you know, aspirational tradies, um, as, as Geelong's one of the fastest growing cities in the country, I think, and it's yeah, on the edge yeah. of Geelong. Um, so those new suburbs around Geelong are full of, you know, what we, you know, long, we, we used to call Howard Battlers, you know, the, uh, the, the, the tradies with the big ute and the boat and the, in, in the driveway. And I think Morrison thought he could um, win them over and win some of those seats. The difficulty he had was he needed to put, to do that, he needed to put some clear air uh, between uh, the, the, the Liberal National Party and the Labor Party on some issues like climate change and things like that. He needed to, he needed to be able to say to, about climate change that we will do something about it, but we won't do it at the expense of reliable power in our mining industry. And, and he couldn't do that. He didn't do that. Well, he most certainly didn't. I, I'm, I'm not sure that I agree with you there. It, it, it would seem to me that... Um, the results of this speak on speak certainly uh, from the teal pickups. Uh, they've got six uh, six newies, uh, and and the uh, sort of triumph of the Greens around Brisbane in particular, and a very high vote nationally, would indicate that people require a little bit more action. Although they may not understand what 
what it necessarily involves. I think there was a fair amount. They like action until it costs them money. The first thing you should have said was, listen, a vote for the Teals or a vote for Labor isn't going to stop floods and it isn't going to prevent bushfires. Yeah, maybe. Uh, Look, that... That that's certainly one, you know, that's certainly one one take from all of this. But for me, a lot of the result uh, on Saturday was founded in that sort of nonsense period last year when the Nats decided whether they were going to uh, go with uh, uh, with uh, with net zero by twenty fifty, and and it just seemed to me, regardless of what you think of that, Jack, it just seemed to me. That the that the the uh, the cart was leading the horse. That the Nats were basically in the powerful position, and yeah. and uh, and the Libs were on their knees begging Barnaby and others to uh, uh, to to uh, to help them out. It's always a mistake when the small party in the coalition seems to be running the place. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Mm. Um, back. The cat, cat's happy on the chair now. Yeah, the cat's happy on the chair. So uh, I'll just make a note of that time. Um, uh, yeah, look, I, I think we've, when we look at the genesis of the Teals, that was it. That was that time when, you know, basically those um, those candidates just started uh, putting their names forward yeah, around the community yeah. and rose through it. So, yeah, it, all, it is always a mistake uh, to allow the small party to drive... The conduct of the of the coalition. Well, in public, at least, it's okay behind closed doors, but in public, it's a mistake. Yeah, and it was, and it went on for weeks, and I, I just thought it was just awful. Yeah. Look, the, the other thing that I have to wonder about, Jack. Uh, in fact, in, in week two of our podcast, I suggested that perhaps Scott Morrison wouldn't go to WA, and on that very day we recorded, he went to WA. So I was horribly wrong there, but then he went back there last week, Jack. Uh, in the in the vital week before um, before the votes uh, were, were to be counted, and and, and they've been absolutely smashed in in yes, recent Australia. Yes, what do I call it? Um, uh, North Korea, but with wine and food. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, Western Australia. Listen, uh, you know, um, elbow and labour should be should be praying at the altar of Mark McGowan. He has delivered them victory in no small part because, and uh, and the Labor campaign uh, people in Western Australia, they saw Scott Morrison uh, and, and, and Christian and others, other WA Libs, supporting uh, the legal action, although they only did it briefly, supporting the legal action initiated by Clive Palmer. And, uh, and and this was uh, this was very very bad stuff, very very bad look. And they backed away from it, as I say, within a couple of days. But all of that footage, all of those sound and video grabs, were used in the campaign in WA. Albo was there, arm in arm with Mark McGowan on the posters, and uh, and as we've seen, they've picked up at least three, probably four, and the Libs have lost five. I mean, McGowan has basically all but obliterated the Liberal Party in Western Australia. Mm. Well, they were bizarrely in love with their lockdown. Um, uh, so, yes, that, that's not surprising. Well, if it comes, yeah, it comes down to pan- pandemic management, you, it, it really, you know... It remains to be seen just if, if those are going to be punished. I saw some tweets from some American academics saying that Scott Morrison had been kicked out uh, because he had been the one who had implemented lockdowns and all this sort of stuff. Is clearly a tweet from a guy who doesn't understand Australian politics. Mm. Um, but it would seem in Western Australia, um, you know, that hard pandemic management that McGowan brought in has actually been a benefit, a political benefit. I mean, there are only two... Libs in the lower house in the state parliament, um, and uh, so they don't even have party status there. And I think they'll go back to uh, the new federal parliament with four, possibly five, uh, Liberal MPs. Nats aren't there, and when we think of the Nats, Jack, they didn't lose. I don't, they didn't lose any skin, let alone seats. They didn't gain any either, though, and they failed to pick up seats like Hunter Joel Fitzgibbon's old seat. Yeah. Uh, and you would have expected them to win that, so I wouldn't have called, wouldn't call it a good night for the for the for the Nats either. No, but they could at least turn around and say, "Well, we didn't lose any." Uh, mm. don't know about and you, they will mate. say that. 
They will. They definitely will. <laughs> um, look, there were some pretty ordinary performances there when we when we mentioned Hunter and Shortland uh, in those sort of coal mining areas. Uh, pretty ordinary performances from uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation, where they had been strong before. I think. Uh, uh, I think uh, Pauline Hanson's One Nation got into the low twenties in the primary vote in twenty nineteen, uh, about seven or eight percent this time. Uh, well, the, 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 the National Party, the Liberal National Party's lost some of the FIFO workers uh, and the um, uh, aspirational tradies back to Labor. Labor's been struggling with those for 30 years. Um, uh, and this time, they actually lost, the Liberals actually lost some ground back to Labor with those, um, which is, that's unusual. Um, yes, well, it does mean that Dan Rapicioli will replace... Um um, oh, I think I think of his name, Joe Smacker Fitzgibbon, uh, in Hunter, and uh, they are not exactly pleasing a pot. Have you seen Dan Ripper, Charlie Jack? He's a monster of a man. Is he? Is he? He's yeah. he's a huge you know. I think about six seven six eight, former Olympian, and uh, had a coal mining background. So they pre-selected very very well. He had a he had a rather large swing towards him. So uh, and 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 across the board, that was a, that's a pretty good effort. Um, <clears throat> Uh, so, yes, we'll see uh, Dan Pepicelli. They might have to get him his own seat because he is a very large man. There were photos of him next to uh, Elbow, and he's basically twice the size of Elbow. Well, he won't have to squeeze into an economy seat for the next three years anyway. No, be able no, to fly, be able to fly at the front of the plane. He will be at the at the, the pointy end of the plane for a, for a little while. Yeah, very good pre-selection, that one, and it, and it really did just stave off some of those... Uh, so, you know, some of those potential losses. In the end, when we talk about Labor losses, and we'll get to their victory soon, in the end, they lost Fowler and and the common view and the sensible view, um, uh, one and the same. And that was, serves yourselves right for parachuting in uh, a, uh, a high-profile candidate when uh, the local candidate could have could have won that seat very comfortably. Um I got a couple of WhatsApps uh, from from members of the New South Wales Labor Party um, uh, uh, on the weekend, and uh, they weren't exactly crying tears over the loss of Christina Canelli. You know? <laughs> it didn't seem to be an outpouring of grief. I'm, sh- I'm sure she has some Canelli. fans in the in the New South Wales branch of the well, Labor she must Party. Must have. But you, but you must have three, surely. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but she's got plenty of people that don't much like her. Look, the other big thing, and, and look, it, it is something that we predicted pretty much early on, uh, that, that the Teal Independents were going to make a mess of the libs in some of their Blue Ribbon seats. Yep. Um, you know, uh, Goldstein was the first to go. Um, uh, Tim Wilson's vote uh, barely nudged, uh, uh, barely nudged uh, mid-30s there. Um, and uh, they've all gone now, basically. Uh, Kate Cheney won in Curtin, as we predicted. Uh, uh, Allegra Spender has won Wentworth. Dave Sharma has basically just turned his Twitter off, Jack. In fact, he's just—he's—he's uh, been—he might be in witness protection. He's just sort of disappeared. His his Twitter account has been, you know, basically well not turned off. It's he's basically just uh, jumped out of it, uh, and he didn't. He was. A, he, he, they say he's a very smart man. I'm sure that's right. But he was a pretty low impact politician in Wentworth. Yeah, he was actually, um, and uh, oh, look, it was one of those things. He 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 didn't actually, as far as we know, certainly not publicly, sort of congratulate uh, Allegra Spender, and and that was pretty off. I mean, Tim Wilson's comments early on were pretty disgraceful too. He couldn't even bring himself to name Zoe Daniel. Uh, and, you know, was babbling about conspiracies against him that had lasted for two years. I say, uh, you know, basically, they, good riddance to those sorts of guys. Um, Trent Zimmerman. Trent Zimmerman. Trent, yeah, yeah, Zimmer, Zimmerman he, is, is he, a he decent. He was gracious player. and decent. And he's always been a decent enough bloke, I think. Yeah, yeah. He was just overwhelmed. I mean, they all were to a very large extent. They were overwhelmed by this factor that we've been talking about and exploring throughout this campaign. Uh, that is that, you know, the, the shift in demographic, the shift in political alliance of the professional classes versus the working classes. It's, 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 this is a worldwide phenomenon. It's a Western worldwide phenomenon. Hmm. 
Mm. It's yeah. happening in the United States, happening in uh, in France and the UK yep. uh, and in Germany. Throughout um, Europe, yeah, throughout Europe. Yep. And, and what it is, broadly speaking, for those who haven't uh, uh, kept up with our analysis of this, is, is that the professional classes, Jack likes to call them the laptop classes sometimes, uh, the professional classes, um, uh, they veer... Um, and they veer progressive in terms of social policy at least. So where you've got a party uh, that doesn't adopt those progressive views, um, uh, they tend to feel a little bit hard done by and they're going to react. That's essentially what happened. Uh, they don't think the Liberal Party, there are enough people in these seats, these inner city seats in Sydney and in Melbourne, uh, that people think the Liberal Party no longer represents them. Uh, uh, Senator John, former Senator John Black, describes it as the goat cheese circle. The goat cheese circle. That was a, that's an old Chris Pine uh, line, actually, and it and you know it it, it it again is a little bit offensive, and it means you're just not sort of taking this stuff seriously. Um, what what the Liberals need to do and constantly resisted was. Um, you know, bringing more women into the party uh, and and bringing people into the party who had the view of the centre of the country, you know. And, 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 and that's not that hard to do. I mean, when we talk about Catherine Deves in, in Warringah, who, by the way, had an 8% swing against her in primary vote, I mean, it's just Nazi stuff, you know, that they would that, that they would drop her in, in Warringah. There was some thought that this was part of some broader plan to raise the vote in Western Sydney back on the on the back of some sort of, you know, anti-trans um, politics. But, you know, it was a disaster. Well, two things happened with that. Um, Anthony Albanese was very quick to come out and say um, that he thought that um, women's sport was for women. Women? Yeah. Um, okay. uh, which which deflated that whole move from Morrison, if there was indeed such a move. Um, that was a, a perfect response. He said nothing else. He just made the yeah. obvious and simple yeah. statement. Um, yeah. uh, and, and secondly, Morrison di- didn't have a strategy for picking up those seats out in Western Sydney. Yeah, well, if that was if that was the strategy, well, 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 well there was there was no visible strategy for doing it. He, he, he didn't go out there and campaign in the right kind of way to pick up the socially conservative seats. Well, I'd go a bit further and say that, you know, that, that those sorts of attacks, every time that Morrison had to deal with remarks that had been dug up from Dee's social media accounts and various uh, online videos and stuff that she'd made, uh, and it was reported very broadly by Sam Maiden on news.com.au, um, uh, every time Morrison had to address that stuff, you just felt, and, and he did it in a way, so oh, I don't like what she said, but, uh, you know, I'll fight to the death or right to say it and all this sort of stuff. Every time he said those sorts of things, I, you know, they lost a 1,000 votes in Wentworth. They lose a 1,000 votes in North Sydney. It was, it was dumb. It was, it, it was really, it was really the pre-selection of Dees, uh, it, it was an absolutely dumb move. Uh, and it would tell you that if there's no, there'd been no vetting, that's shameful. And if there had been, that's probably worse. Yeah, I, I, I don't know anywhere, anywhere near enough about the internal workings of the Liberal Party in New South Wales to tell you whether it was any kind of strategy well, or they, deliberate. Um, the or, branches or whether were it was just an accident. This is, this is the second uh, uh, election in a row, second federal election in a row, where the branches have been excluded, weren't allowed to pre-select mm. their candidates. This was known as a captain's pick, which is a nice way of saying the Prime Minister and the Premier between themselves have basically decided to overrule the State Council. Mm. Mm. I'm not a fan of captain's picks. And they, and they, and, and they paid the price. Like Labor paid the price in Fowler for, for which is a captain's pick as well. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and that's right. And, and they had a good candidate, Jack. They had a good candidate, um, a local Australia Vietnamese lad, and a lawyer, and a very impressive type. And he would have won, he would have won the seat by the length of the stroke. So there you go. And, you know, it's just just why the parties are a little bit. Uh, a little bit uh, 
you know, they, 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 they just sort of lose touch of, of Australia a lot. You know, it, it's so obvious, and certainly the Liberals this time around. Number well, getting, of get, getting back to this swing, I think we're halfway through the swing mm-hmm. that, that's happening around the world in Australia. That is that the um, the, the well-to-do, the, 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 the double income, got an investment property, uh, doing pretty well. Uh, in the uh, in the leafy suburbs of the, the four big capital cities, they are making the move away from their traditional home in the Liberal and National Party. What's happening around the world at the same time, generally, is that the poorer the working class, um, the less well-off, the, the migrants who don't speak English, um, who are often socially conservative, around the world they are moving into the conservative parties. They have in the UK and they have in the United States. Um, we're not seeing the second thing happen in Australia yet, and maybe it won't. But that's the that's the worldwide phenomenon that's going on. Yeah, when you say maybe it won't, I mean Labor is in charge of their own destiny in that respect, they aren't they? Because they yeah. are in government, and this is where the libs are, 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 are sort of been left uh, bruised and bleeding on the side of the road now in opposition. We've got a um, a crossbench. that will be around sixteen members, Jack. That's uh, well. We'd have to go back to uh, to uh, pre-war days to find anything like that when when mm. parties was, were were sort of going through some splintering and and what have you. But um, this is you know in modern Australian politics this is kind of unheard of. Um, how far does Labor have to go to consult with the Teals and the Greens? Well, they're going to have a majority, so that they in the lower house. Um, so that they don't need them to, to get their votes necessarily, but they're not going to have a majority in the Senate. No, we'll talk about so, the Senate in a little while, but I just mean so, so, just so generally that, so, it would be pretty poor politics, wouldn't it, from Labor to sort of ignore the Teals and ignore the Greens? Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not going to be able to do that, hmm. um, uh, nor are they going to be beholden to the Teals, though. They're, they're going to have to strike a balance in there somewhere. Um, I, I saw... Uh, Zoe Daniel being interviewed um, uh, on the weekend, and she was saying, "Well, this is this is what my demands would be, um, uh, you know." And I think, well, that's not going to work for her either. She's going to have to say, "I'm going to be a voice uh, in what happens in Canberra." Did but I'm, not going, to, I'm not going to be able to dictate it. Did change her tack a little bit to mention that word in particular. She was going to be a voice in Canberra. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's kind of where they have to be. But at the same time, I don't think they can be ignored. Um, uh, in the House, the Teals, they, 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 Labor would do well to sit them down, have a good listen to them and talk about what they want and need because there are some, there are some major policy, um, uh, um, well, there's sort of major things on the Labor agenda that they will need support, really bipartisan support across the Parliament for to proceed with. We'll talk about those sorts of issues shortly, but it is a massive crossbench. It is. It's going to need a, um, a good manager of business in the House for the government, a role that Anthony Albanese performed quite well. Um, uh, uh, Tony Burke. Tony Burke currently has that role. Yeah, it's a role for a, a good, good party organiser. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. So but we'll just very quickly touch on those seats uh, that uh, uh, we sort of indicated were going to be uh, potential pickups. Uh, your uh, your friend Madonna Jarrett in Brisbane, uh, she would seem. I think she's a couple hundred votes away from coming second. In from about a thousand. 158. 158. Now you're watching it close more closely oh, yeah. than I am. Uh, she hits second. She wins. That's basically it. And and uh, just to explain to our readers, the major parties are better at organising postal voting than the miners are. So you would expect. And and, uh, and and I do believe the, uh, the Labor Party in Brisbane ran a very good, a very strong postal campaign. Uh, uh, so about ten um, thousand postals to count still. So really, um, yeah. yeah. Well, that tells me she'll probably win by two or three thousand. Um, yeah, she, she's already she's already dropped the um, uh, her deficit to the to the Greens from five hundred and fifty odd to one hundred and fifty odd. Um, and, yeah. only, and that was that was counting a, f- a few thousand votes, and there's ten thousand more postals to count. So yeah, you, would ex- you would expect she'll keep picking them up and end up second. 
just just to explain, the Liberal, uh, the LNP candidate or the sitting member, uh, I think his name's Evans, uh, in Brisbane. Yeah, Tre- Trevor Evans. Trevor, that's right. Trevor Evans uh, is 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 number one in in uh, in the vote count, uh, leading by a reasonable size margin. But he's he's only got about 38 percent of the vote, hasn't he, Jack? And yeah, that and he, he can't win. Yeah, yeah he, he he is leading the primary vote, but he can't win. So whoever finishes second will win. And yeah. it looks like Madonna is uh, is uh, going to go to hit that spot over the next day or so. Um, there's another one that really caught my eye. Um, besides the overwhelming swings in Western Australia, the seat of Deakin Jack um, in, that, in outer eastern Melbourne. Yeah, it it, it was a terrible result for the Liberals. Michael Suka uh, is the sitting member there. He's in trouble. Uh, and uh, and there were swings against um, uh, <coughs> there were swings against uh, sitting Liberal members in the east of Melbourne more generally. Um, Deacon, I'll just give you the update. Labor leads. It's very close. There's really only 850 votes in it at the moment. Mm. Michael Suker, just uh, for way of background, is um, what I might call a member of the Christian right. Uh, in um, in the Liberal Party, there was some talk that he may have been involved in a little bit of branch stacking, which he denied. Um, God, political major political parties involved in branch stacking, Jack? Surely I'm not. A, I'm I'm not. Of, uh, <laughs> I'm, uh, what's the, 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 the little bloke from Casablanca? I'm shocked, shocked to find uh, branch stacking going on here. You know. Yeah, so... So he's about 850 votes behind. It's hard to know. I don't know how many postals are yet to come. There's no listing on the postals. Yeah, Suka is definitely leading in postal votes, so might just hang on there. Uh, got an advantage of about 1,000 with, uh, let's say, 5,000 votes postal votes counted, so he might just hang on there, but uh, he will find himself uh, sitting in a very, very tight marginal. Um, uh, th- there are a couple of caught my eye. Sturt, Christopher Pine's old seat is also um, uh, uh, in the in the doubtful column at the moment, um, uh, and big swings to Labor there. Liberals in front by 750 votes with postals being counted uh, at this stage. Uh, uh, yeah, Labor's uh, Sonia Barham is behind and may not make up that room. But these are big, big, big swings. You know, there's a 7% swing against, um, against uh, the Liberal uh, sitting member um, on a 2PP um uh, 2PP uh, <coughs> analysis. So um, uh, the other great unknown, of course, Jack, I'll just go through. Oh, Gilmore is the other one I did want to talk about. And at this stage, Labor is in front, the sitting member. Oh, no. Oh, look, it's changed a little bit since last I looked. They are. They were counting pre, pre, in-person pre-polls yesterday. That's Sunday the 22nd. And uh, and uh, they'll be going through their postals now. Um, Fiona Phillips, a sitting Labor member, was in front. Now Constance is in front by 306 uh, votes. I'll just have a quick look at the postals. Uh, with uh, nearly 10,000 counted, Constance is winning um, 48% of them and Fiona Phillips 36 so that might go to Andrew Constance as well. But to the Senate, Jack, and uh, what do you make of what do you make of the, the results there? Have you had a good look at them? Oh, I've had a bit of a look at them. Um, it's a little bit. It's, it's early days, really. But um, and it's just hard to know what to make of a Senate until they get together and uh, and start arguing about something. <laughs> yeah, that's not a bad way of putting it. Just to give you an idea of the numbers. No, no one's going to have a majority in the Senate. Put it, oh, oh, no, no, no. Be, no, be no clear that, about that. Those days are over. It looks like the Libs might have lost a couple. Um, the Greens will be definitely plus three. Uh, in Victoria, Clive's United Australia Party are in front for the sixth Senate spot there. Um, there was some talk... 
uh, over the weekend that Pauline Hanson was in trouble in Queensland. That was I don't even know why people came up with that. Um, she's very clear. She very clearly comes sixth. Um, <clears throat> Clive is in front of Victoria, as I say. But basically, when you run through uh, the states and territories, well, the, the states for a start, where basically six or forty in total were up for grabs. Uh, you go two Liberal or two two Coalition, two Labor, one Green and one other. And sometimes, as in New South Wales, there'll be three Liberals. In uh, uh, Western Australia, there'll be three Labor. Um, but, yeah, no, the, the balance of power almost certainly will sit with the Greens and the Jackie Lambie network. Uh, Labor is likely to have 25. Uh, the Greens will have 12 probably, and uh, you need 39. And and Jackie Lambie with her too, that should give them the 39 to get things through. So there's a fairly clear pathway. It's not the way it's been in the past. It's looking that way. It's not the way it's been in the past where you've got a horse trade with people from all sides of politics. It's a fairly even, you know, fairly clear pathway. If we get the Greens to support us, if we get Jackie Lambie Network to support us, we'll get our legislation through. Yeah, except the Greens, um, they don't always behave like a, a party party in that sort of sense. You can't be sure what they're going to do. Yeah, it, it, it is true. And, 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 and look, I was just going to talk about Labor and how they have to approach this. They have to be humble. They have to be, you know, deal makers. But it's very hard to be a deal maker when the mob you want to make a deal with aren't serious about it. Yeah, it is. Anyway, for any of our, any of our listeners who are wondering about having a, a, a job in politics, can I recommend being a Tasmanian senator? <laughs> um, and, and you one ask of, why? One of and, 12. And you ask why? Because there were 12 senators from Tasmania. There were 25 lower house MPs in the Tasmanian parliament. Mm. Plus, I don't know how many upper house MPs. And it's got a population of, you know... Uh, Geelong. 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 <laughs> a bit bigger than Geelong. A little bit bigger than Geelong. Yeah, a little bit bigger than Geelong. So with all of those parliamentarians to pester, the, the odds of you having uh, having to, to, to fill your days in your electorate office talking to, uh, to citizens are pretty low. So well, when you th- get, when get, you- get on board, move to Tasmania and get a job in the Senate. <laughs> well, when you think when you throw in local government, councillors, mayors, etc., in Tasmania, it means basically uh, your next door neighbours, if they're not if if they're not members of parliament or members of local government, it probably means you are. Yes, exactly right. So uh, that's that's the job to get if you if you <laughs> if you're thinking about a. a, a a career in politics. All care and no responsibility. Yeah. Um, look, how does Elbow go about his first weeks as PM? He's just been sworn in. He's got the gang of four at the moment. That's uh, Penny Wong, Katie Gallagher, um, uh, Jim Chalmers and uh, and uh, and his deputy, of course. Those are the five. Richard Miles. Richard Miles, yes, who was uh, in... Uh, the first, first thing I'd say about, that, about this is that Elbow um, has performed admirably since he won on Saturday night. Good speech. He has, he has found the confidence that he didn't quite have during the campaign. Yeah. It's an interesting um, one. They talk about prime ministers growing in the job. Well, you and never really know how a prime minister is going to go until they get the job. Yeah. And we spoke earlier about what an unlikely choice Elbow would have seemed if you'd asked people 20 years ago. Um, but he's off to a really good start. You know? It was a good speech. It was a good speech. I mean, Morrison's concession speech was merely a sort of list of thank yous to everybody. There wasn't a whole lot there to be inspired about or disappointed with. It was a bit of a nothing speech. But Albanese's speech was really interesting. Actually, there was a bit of ebullience from the floor, from the Labor faithful, and he jumped on it, Jack. Yes, he did. It was a really good speech. The other thing he's done is that he's come out and said he wants to follow, you know, the Hawke um, model of having proper cabinet government. And that's the big thing he's got to do in the first two weeks is get cabinet government up and running properly because yeah. it is the key to a good government. That's right. The ability when, we say, to- when we say cabinet government, that mm. what that means is that the decisions of the government are made in the cabinet room. 
so that ministers have to go in there and argue their case and everybody else gets a chance to shoot it down. And that means that decisions are properly tested, road tested, before they're made. Yeah, yeah, that was the great strength of the Hawke-Keating governments, Jack. Plus, plus, of course, Hawkey had Hawkey had the best cabinet anyone's ever seen. Yeah, look, it, the Look, to be fair, they almost got punted in nineteen ninety four when Hawkey went early. But, but, um, but it, if, if uh, our listeners want to have a quick look at the photograph of the nineteen eighty three cabinet, you'll see the most talented cabinet you will ever see in Australian politics. I suspect that won't be beaten. Maybe. But uh, uh, it'll 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 need to be a good. Um, the- it's a bit it's a bit different in state government. Um, yeah, you, you don't need to be quite such an adherent to cabinet government. In fact, a, a good friend of ours used to tell me that you only need two good two good ministers, two or three good ministers in the state government. Oh, um, you'd be lucky to get that. You'd be so lucky to get that in some state. Well, well, that's that's what I said. I said, well, what would you do if you had four? And he looked a bit thoughtful for a few minutes and said, I don't know, mate. It's <laughs> never been tried. <laughs> it's never happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. So yeah, different different stuff there. Um, but, uh, but, but, but 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 the federal government's a big enterprise, so you need to have proper cabinet governor hmm. to run it properly. And Elbow seems to be keen to do that. Um, he's got a couple of weeks. Uh, before he has to appoint a ministry, really, um, and they, then they go through a process where they have what they call the administrative arrangements orders, which is where you organise the public service, the shape you want the public service to be. No long knives, Jack? Um, well, that's pretty much every time we change government in Australia these days yeah, at the federal it, level. It's going, to be, it's going to probably take more than one night, put it that, yeah, put it that way. There's yeah. been a lot of politicisation of the bureaucracy and in sort of quasi-government positions like uh, fair work and all those sorts of things. And uh, I would imagine that Labor won't should, well, I, I, not, I won't imagine, uh, my advice is that Labor do not adopt the Kevin Rudd, let's be friends, hands across the, uh, the divide and uh, start appointing coalition, uh, former coalition MPs into embassies and, and what have you. Um, uh, not a long knives. Everyone expects it should happen. Yeah, well, with the, with the, the various tribunals and quasi-government organisations, very often people are on time appointments there, so you just got to wait those out. But then you can appoint who you want. Well, one of the things that are uh, riding high on the agenda is the establishment of an ICAC, Jack, a federal ICAC, and we've talked about this throughout the campaign. Uh, we haven't really seen the model that the Labor Party is going to adopt. But, again, this would be something that they would be wanting to have conversations uh, with the Teals uh, and, and other crossbenchers about. But it would seem to be a model not dissimilar to uh, to the New South Wales ICAC. Well, that would be a mistake, in my view. Um, the New South Wales ICAC has not been a good organisation. Um, it, it's based on the Hong Kong model. It didn't work particularly well here and has, has worked even worse in New South Wales. Um, firstly, I, about- I, I mean, quite seriously, so I was going to say, look, journalism. Journalism demands a federal ICAC, Jack. But, um, <laughs> uh, but and the legal well, profession loves it as well. It really has It part. really has got rid of a lot of crooks. And, uh, and, and you know, <laughs> most of those from the New South Wales Labor government, by the way, and a couple of them uh, cooling their heels in stir at the moment. But... Uh, I don't have a problem with public hearings. Uh, I, I, I certainly don't have a problem with... I, I think it's better to hold those things in public than to hold them in camera. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of, of anti-corruption groups conducting inquiries, as they do in Victoria, in the IBAC, uh, without anyone knowing it's going on. I well, think the, the you've got to be public with these things. The first thing that's wrong with the New South Wales ICAC is that it doesn't have a proper, it doesn't have a, a workable definition of what's corruption. Um, uh, and, and, and a lot of the things that people are complaining about, about the federal government and that they want a, a, an anti-corruption body to investigate are really just decisions that they didn't agree with. And that's not corruption. You've got to let politicians make decisions. The best way to get rid of politicians who make the wrong decisions is to have an election and, and vote them out. Um, the ICAC uh, will not cover the robo-debt, uh, the robo-debt um, fiasco. 
um, there'll be a Royal Commission, that uh, is Labor policy, a Royal Commission to establish to examine any malfeasance around robo-debt jack, which led to, um, well, basically allowed on some, some sort of weird uh, computer programming basis uh, people to receive uh, notices of debt owed to the Commonwealth through their social security payments, often wrong um, it led to people being hounded. It led to people being uh, uh, committing suicide, self-harming. Um, there'll be a Royal Commission into that. And I would say uh, the ministers responsible, and I'll name a few right now, one of them was the Treasurer, Scott Morrison. The other one was Stuart Robert and, the, and his predecessor in Social Security, Alan Tudge. They might be uh, standing... Uh, or sitting in the witness box with a hand on a Bible at some point fairly soon. Oh, I think they probably will be. And and I'll almost tell you what the findings will be um, uh, before they start. It was a very bad idea and badly administered. <laughs> I think that's, that's the crux of the matter, that they were actually advised by the Commonwealth Solicitor General, this is a really bad idea, but they mm. went ahead with it anyway. And, and and then they made it. Then they made a mess of doing it. So you know that's it's it's, it's a very common story in, in government. Some ideas are lousy ideas, and they're very often badly administered. Yeah, and and this and in this case, you know the the, the compensations up, up at two billion dollars, um, and and of course some people can't be compensated. So that's something that we'll be looking at over the next year in politics. And Jack, for me, the big one is the Uluru Statement. And it's a hard one. It's a really hard one because it requires, in part, a successful referendum, uh, which uh, which will uh, you know, uh, which will allow constitutional recognition of uh, first Australians. Yeah, and referendums are hard to get past. They are indeed. Um, they are indeed because you, you, you've got to win a majority of the vote and the majority of the states. And that's um, no bad thing, the fact that they're hard to get past, because it means you've really got to have widespread community support for what you want to do. So that means you've got to start at the beginning and say, we're not going to try and jam something through that most of the country is not going to like. Yeah. We've got, we, we've got to find a solution that's saleable to a wide variety of people. It requires politics, doesn't it? I mean, you know, politics at really at its finest, and really what politics is a is, should be all about that mm. that <coughs> reaching out, and negotiating with other parties, not just political parties, but other groups in the community, and through the strength of your argument, being able to persuade them to adopt a cause that I think is really important for this country. But but it means you've got to go and talk to people who you don't like. Yeah, and, who, and whose opinions you don't agree with, and persuade generally whose, whose opinions generally you don't agree with, you've got to go and persuade them to do something. Now that means you've really got to reach not just across the aisle in Parliament, but you've got to get out in the community and talk to people you don't like. Yeah, well, look if we look at Marbo, the Marbo judgment, and uh, and how Keating, as Prime Minister of the, of the day, responded to that, um, he he he. He spoke with the mining industry. He spoke with farmers. He spoke with the Farmers Federation. He spoke with the premiers. He didn't like. He didn't like most of them. You know, he had Jeff Kennett to deal with at the time. In fact, yes. I think he made some pretty, um, pretty stride remarks about the premiers um, because there was a lot of nonsense going around. That people were going to lose their backyards and all this sort of stuff. And he was able to, by the force of his argument, to to win people over. On a piece of policy that, or a piece of legislation that was absolutely necessary, and we got it through. We got it through, well, Jack. Until well, until it got to the Senate. I just want to get going on here. And there were two WA Greens who said, "Oh, I don't think so." And um, you know, the, the two WA Greens, you might remember them. Uh, they um, uh, they weren't going to support the legislation, and so that it would have been the, the you know the the, the the final blockade. It wouldn't have got through. So Keating had to go down and have a bit of a chat with them. Jack, how do you reckon that went? <laughs> I should imagine the paint would have peeled off the walls. Um, I, I remember that weekend. They, they did succumb. They did succumb, and rather quickly, funnily enough. 
Yeah. I remember that weekend clearly. Um, I was at a, a, a mate's wedding in the Hunter Valley um, and I can tell you exactly how I remember it because um, I was going to be sitting next to a Labor senator at, uh, at our table at the at the dinner afterwards and he didn't get there because he was still with this Saturday yeah. night and he was still still in Canberra yeah, um, they, arguing they, about it. They finished. I, I, my memory of it is they finished. They, they got the legislation through about three or four in the morning. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And only after Paul... <laughs> The great Paul PJ Cooney had to go into the uh, Greens offices and have a have a quiet word in their shell likes. Yeah, but it, it wasn't just the force of argument. It was a bit of patience involved in the Marbo thing as well. They took their time, and that's what they've got to do with the, the Uluru statement is to yeah, look, just yeah. be patient and, and, mm. and allow the community to come along with you a bit. You can't, you can't force yeah, them. I agree with you. My instinct is that we should be acting on this straight away. It is well overdue, and it's been political weakness... Uh, from, well, certainly Malcolm Turnbull never treated this seriously when he was Prime Minister, and that's a great knock on him. Uh, Tony Abbott sort of misunderstood it. Um, there are three components to it, if people are interested to have a look. The first is a sort of, a lot of it's just about genuine uh, reconciliation. The first is to basically sit down with all participants, including First Australians, and break bread and, and, and work through the problems that you've got. The second element is the um, uh, a, a constitutional um, uh, a constitutional recognition of First Australians, which requires a referendum. Uh, there is the establishment of a external body outside the parliament that people often mistake and sometimes deliberately as a... Uh, as a, a group within the parliament, or a, but it's not. It's a sort of consultative body established outside the parliament. And the third is mere cutter, which is sort of taken from uh, one of the Northern Territory languages, which is basically a, a, a process of reconciliation, of acceptance of wrongs in the past, and uh, and and then uh, a, a, a decision to move forward and and uh, and and, and uh, with with everyone sort of reconciled. Very important for me, um, uh, but yeah, I think you're right, Jack. My instinct would be, come on, let's get this going. But I think you've got to take a, in a quite a few years, you've got to get a lot of people behind you. You don't want this to fail. Yeah, and, and, and whatever you do, don't start telling people they're racist because they don't agree immediately. It really does require a very subtle and gentle form of, yeah. of, of argument and persuasion. Yeah. I and patience. That. It, it, it can easily be misconstrued. Uh, as you know, you could fall into that sort of racist argument. Mm. Uh, Jack, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, I just want to we'll wrap up shortly. But do you think Anthony Albanese will lead? Lead. I mean, I honestly think that they're in a position to lead Australia in government for a long time. They've certainly got that opportunity now. Well, generally speaking, if you if you win government from opposition, it doesn't happen very often, and and then. You normally get a couple of terms before Australians are prepared to say, no, no, we've had enough of you. And they clearly had had enough of the Morrison government, yeah. no doubt about that. And we've been saying that all along. What should Labor be saying? This is a government that's run its course, and they had run its course. Yeah. So, But you, the Australians are not generally minded to tip you out after three years. Um, so, so, so what they should be avoiding is the sort of madness that, that befell them in 2010, 2009, 2010, um, and I suppose also the sort of uh, failure to take people with you that you could basically, as a charge, you could lay against the Whitlam government in 73-4. Oh, and there, was a, and there was a great deal of impatience about the Whitlam government. There were a lot of people who got ministries who'd been in opposition for a very, very long time. Yeah, you can um, understand it, but yeah. Yeah, and, and, and they were... Uh, some, of them weren't all that, some, some of them weren't all that competent, Jack. No, 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 that's, 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 a, that's a fair assessment. <laughs> <laughs> some of them weren't all that competent. They'd just been there for a long time. Yeah. So they were pulling the trigger, and yeah, you've got to, you've got to take people. You've got to explain what you're doing. You know, Dan Andrews is, is spectacularly good at this. Uh, he'll say, "This is where we are now. This is where we want to go, and this is where we get. This is how we're going to get there." And people go, "Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, 
you need to be a good communicator. I just wonder if Elbow's that guy. You know, I, you know it, it's all about him growing in the Well, he's off, to, he's off to an excellent start. His communication skills over the weekend, which had been a little bit patchy during the campaign, all of a sudden he has some confidence. He's speaking with a bit of authority, um, uh, but he's not being impatient. Um, and I think that's the right approach. Um, so he's off to a great start. Um, I'm always prepared to give um, uh, uh, someone who gets a job in politics like that a, a, a go until they prove to me that they're no good. <laughs> <laughs> no, fair enough. Fair enough. Very good. Now, we're just going to wrap up the show with probably, look, there were a lot of dumb takes over the weekend, Jack. Many, many dumb takes. Um, but this one really caught your eye and then mine. Australian National University Professor Donald Rothwell said that based on the results to date, and to be fair to him, this was on Sunday, he couldn't see how, and I quote, Anthony Albanese can be sworn in as Prime Minister before Tuesday. The ALP does not hold a majority of seats at present, Professor Rothwell said. The Governor-General will not wish to commission a new PM from a new political party only to see them lose a vote of confidence on the floor of the House. That's utter bullshit, isn't it, Jack? It is, it is. Uh, I'm a, I've been astounded right through this process when it looked like we are going to have a hung government, a hung parliament, uh, as to exactly how little knowledge of, no. of how the process works. It was uh, like it seems you, to be you, right. couldn't, you couldn't form a government unless you had a great big stacked agreement with a lovely pink bow around it that had been signed by everyone. It's yeah, but this, mis this misunderstanding seems to be rife in amongst pundits, um, amongst, quite a few, amongst quite a few lawyers who really should know better, let alone and, professors. And journalists who don't uh, and seem to understand. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, the way the thing works is pretty simple, is that the, the incumbent Prime Minister goes to the Governor-General and says, look, I've got to advise you um, uh, that... Uh, I've lost the election and, uh, and I'm not able to, uh, to mm. form a government. I, I, I don't have any belief that I can, 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 can guarantee confidence and supply. And my advice to, is, to, is, to, is to go and say, is to call on, um, in this case, Mr. 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 Albanese, yeah. uh, because I believe he will be able to form yeah. a government. Now, there's no requirement there that Mr. Albanese's got to have a majority or got to have a signed agreement yeah. giving him a majority. None of that's required at all. Um, and, and the Governor General, unless he's John Kerr, will act on <laughs> will act on the advice of the of the of the existing Prime Minister exactly and call right. on Mr Albanese to form a government. Well, it's yeah. really straightforward. Look, it's not going to come. It's not going to come to that. As, a, as we've no. said numerously on you know, numerous occasions throughout the program, Anthony Albanese has a majority and has been sworn in. But this was kind of a nonsense that ran around on Sunday, and I I don't know whether it was the the last. Hurrah from the government. But see, the first thing is we had Scott Morrison conceding defeat on Saturday night. Hmm. <laughs> and, and look, we talked about what might happen in hung parliaments in the event of the Libs getting around 68, 69, but they couldn't even get to 60. So clearly they could not form a government. Yeah, he, he, he made the sensible assessment that even if... Labor doesn't have a majority. I can't form a government, yeah. so it's got to be them. So it's got to be them, and that's yeah. all you need to walk to basically go down to Yarralumla. In fact, even in the absence of uh, Scott Morrison advising uh, David Hurley that uh, he could not form a government, uh, Anthony Albanese would have been well within his rights to jump into the uh, jump into the uh, Commonwealth uh, Beamer and uh, turn up at Yarralumla and say, right, hey. Swear me in, I'm good to go. I'm, I'm sure he would have been told to wait. Uh, I'm sure the Governor-General would have done it, done it the proper way. Uh, yeah, but, no, um, true enough, but that was just a mad thing and it came from, well, he's an Australian National University professor, Jack. Well, there you go. What am uh, I doing sitting in Hong Kong? I should be a professor of law somewhere. <laughs> Not a bad gig. Not a bad gig. Good day. Uh, look, uh, great to have you here. We're, I think we're going to stick in here for one more week because uh, on, on in terms of campaign analysis and, and results and so forth, because there's a lot that is unknown, particularly the composition of the Senate, although, as I said before, it looks very much like uh, Labor will have a clear majority with the support of the Greens and Jackie Lambie Network. Um, but we're going to hang there's in a bit there to, a There's a bit left to unpack. Great about. to have you... Oh, yeah, there's tons, yeah. 
yeah, there's tons. Uh, and it's and it's very interesting too stuff. We, we haven't even gone through my uh, my tips, uh, and I got a couple wrong. But um, um, but the uh, ten cross benches or ten independents or more at nine dollars, Jack. Did you manage to get on? Um, you know that I'm all out of bet here in Hong Kong. Uh, oh, that's that's the Hong Kong Jockey Club. Uh, but 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 a Hong Kong friend of mine could have perhaps could perhaps have visited the Green Bank in Sydney on uh, on Saturday afternoon. Oh, very good, very sensible. Yes, no, we, 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 we I did get some I did get some uh, some messages on Twitter saying thank you very much uh, for your tips. But uh, if you jumped on Labor in North Sydney, which was one of mine, you would have done your day. So swings and roundabouts. Um, uh, look, great to have you along with me, Jack. And uh, I just want to remind our listeners uh, uh, that uh, if you want to give us a bit of a bit of a spruik on on social media, please do so. If you're enjoying the show, if you're in, if you are enjoying the show, or if you're not enjoying the show, or if uh, you just want to drop us a line and say good day and, and ask us a few questions about what's happened in the election and what's going to happen in the future, possibly, drop us a line. Uh, at uh, the conditional release program at gmail.com. See you later, Jack. Cheers, mate. See you later, listeners.